Thanks so much for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. We are continuing in the book of Isaiah this week, as we promised last week. So Pastor Mark and I are going to look at that. If you have any questions or info that you need on Isaiah or the walk through the Bible or any of the things that we're talking about, you know, reach out to us. We'd love to have you email us, although I'm on sabbatical, so none of you will be able to reach out to me. Just too bad. Reach out to me. Reach out to Mark. He'll take care of it. And uh, we would love to hear from you. Otherwise, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app, and everything will be good to go right there. ago that pastor chris is on sabbatical how are we still having podcasts it's freaky it's almost as if we're able to time travel <laughs> <laughs> no so we're recording these early obviously so that we can uh, not all be stressed this summer trying to figure all this stuff out and so i'm saying hi to you from sabbatical even though i'm not here right now yeah i'm doing something else so you're kind of acting like a prophet <laughs> <laughs> it fits right it is it's isaiah it's, it's prophetic he's inspiring you so yeah, Isaiah, it's a good book, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of good stuff going on. Yes, sir. We don't have a ton of time to get into all of the goodness, and we will reference back to, again, our Isaiah Advent series. Some of you did the devotional with us. We've got all that access. All that stuff's accessible and available. You've got access to it if you want it. You can go back and do that. Otherwise, just listen to the sermons that we're preaching in Isaiah right now. Or, you know, as you're reading through Isaiah, we're just trying to give you some groundwork that'll help you kind of think some of it through. So again, these are things that we can't put in a sermon. There's not enough time, but we're just kind of throwing a few of these things into this podcast to give you access to some of that craziness. And so the, the start is Isaiah 1 and 2 is full of Isaiah treating Israel quite harshly. So chapter 1, for example, one of the headings you see right off the bat is, the wickedness of Judah. And then he goes on to describe Judah and he actually makes references of Judah being like Sodom, which should make you real scared about how God's going to deal with it. And that moves into this really stark contrast in verses 21 through 31 about how messed up Israel is. It is an unfaithful city. It is so, and really he's talking here about Jerusalem, but Jerusalem has spread now to the rest of the kingdom. And it's just, But then in chapter two, it sort of turns and says, the mountain of the Lord is the place where everyone's going to meet with God. But in order for the mountain of the Lord to be what it needs to be, God has to actually judge Israel and judge Judah. And so then he does that in chapter three, Isaiah preaches a sermon, so to speak, where he just goes off on uh, this judgment that's coming. And so you start off Isaiah and you're like, whoa, this is not fun. This is not easy. This is not good. And all that really leads us then to Isaiah six, his, his call to ministry, right? Yeah, his, his task before him. If you go back into chapter 1, uh, in verse 16, he's saying, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove evil f- deeds from before your, my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct op- 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 sorry, oppression, <laughs> bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. And then honestly, verse 18 hits very close home to, to me because... As a child, if I was ever off course with my parents, my mother <laughs> Which always, never happened, right? No, not, you know, that's why I can barely remember it. But anyway, <laughs> my mother always used to say, oh, come now, let us reason together. And 
that used to irritate me to no end because did that mean basically basically you're in trouble yeah means uh whatever (laughs) appeal i'm giving or argument i'm presenting is ridiculous but yeah but really it's strong words to them aren't there your sins are like scarlet they'll they'll be as but they'll be as white as snow the red like crimson, but they shall become like wool. He, he's presenting something to him. But, you know, in chapter six here, he, you know, after he has this incredible encounter uh, with the Lord that we focus on a lot, he, he then is commissioned to, uh, after he says he's willing, he, he's go and say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but hmm. do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy their eye, and the blind their eyes. Uh, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, how long, O Lord? He said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitants. Uh, I, I will confess as a pastor, preacher, that there are times when you feel a little bit like that, like you're yeah. pre- presenting a message to people who don't hear things. I, I, You know those occasions when somebody comes up to me and goes, look, I just found this coolest thing and look at this, this is amazing and this hit me so hard in my quiet time and, and everything in you wants to go, we, I just preached that three weeks ago. How is that, you know, yeah. anyway. I but, love this thing I read in the book of Luke. We spent an entire year <laughs> on Luke. But you know, the, <laughs> the Lord has his timing in the spirit. I love the way the spirit works. It sounds like I'm whining. I'm really not. But boy, I mean, I, Isaiah had a tough task before him. Totally. And so if you're following those first few chapters, what you're starting to see is this this angst about Israel not living up to what she should be, which is going to come up in a little bit here. Mm -hmm. And there's also this angst of who's going to actually be faithful to me and who's going to walk with me. And Isaiah in chapter 6 is commissioned to this. And then you see this number of of verses in chapter 7, 9, 11, and so on. We start talking about remnant, this idea Mm -hmm. of these people that are going to step up and they're going to actually be who we want to be. And there's going to be a number of posts in random places, whether blog posts or otherwise about the remnant idea, even a sermon on it coming up soon in a few weeks. But this idea of remnant just kind of keeps building and building. And and then God kind of pauses his issues with Israel and he goes nuts on a bunch of nations. And you start seeing this in chapter 11 and, and so on and so forth, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14. I, I, as I work through those, it's just constant judgment and it says like an oracle against this person or an oracle against this nation or this nation. And then you get to chapter 22 in Isaiah and it says an oracle concerning Jerusalem. And you're like, oh, we thought he paused on us, but no, he comes right back and he actually hits Israel harder than he hits the rest of the nations. And so in chapter 22, you've got some harsh words. And then in chapter 28, you know, ah, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. That sounds like a super confident. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's... Yeah. The Lord is mighty and strong. And and then he says again in verse 3, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot. And so he goes after Jerusalem and Ephraim in this time, and he kind of just fires away at them in chapter 28. Then chapter 29 is this idea that that Jerusalem is going to be besieged. And then he starts saying this weird thing in chapter 30 and 31 of don't go down to Egypt. Don't go looking to Egypt for help. Don't go looking to Egypt for help. And what's interesting is, the King Ahaz has already done that. They went to Egypt for help. And so now he's saying, don't do that. Don't be like this. And so then we think, okay, great. That means that's not going to happen. And then in chapter 36, 
Hezekiah doesn't go to Egypt for help. Hezekiah goes to the Lord and does what the Lord needs, which is... Yeah, has this impressive moment. Yeah, and Sennacherib comes after, and, and it's this awesome. And then we get to chapter 39, and we see the actual fall of Israel in, in 38 and 37. But in 39, Judah has been saved because of Hezekiah's faithfulness. But then Hezekiah immediately turns around and starts talking to the Babylonians, which is going to lead to the end of the Judean kingdom just a few years later. No, don't do it. So you're supposed to be reading this just going, this is a drama. This is terrible. I can't believe this ends where it ends. And then you just, that's just it. Like chapter 39 ends and you think, oh, this is terrible. And Hezekiah, we pointed this out in the sermons that we preached that, that December in 2019. The word of the Lord, Hezekiah says, the word of the Lord that has spoken to you is good. For he thought... This is Hezekiah's inner thoughts. There will be peace and security in my days. And you think, what a dork. Like, he's totally selfish, selfish, arrogant king. This guy that we thought was so great is not what we're looking for. And we're just left on the doorstep of, if only someone was humble enough to be the servant that the world needs. Yeah, and Israel... Israel's supposed to be that, and they, they're not. They, they've failed miserably. Right. And so so what's going what's gonna to make up the difference now? And it, now we, we come to this idea that there's got to be someone, someone even, to right. represent someone to, to make up the difference of what Israel couldn't do. Because clearly Israel just messed it up so badly. Who, but who's going to do it for them? Even, you know, Hezekiah seems to be so strong and seems to be amazing and has this good moment right. and then just does this foolish thing and just says, hey, look at all that I have. <laughs> like, no, don't do that. Have you seen the so, storehouses of gold that I have? Yeah. Babylonians. There's nothing Come. in my storehouse that I did not show them. <laughs> Come and check it out. What are you doing? You know, um, amazing kind of dancing with the devil situation. So who's going to be that representative? And right. you see that in the 49 through 55, who's going to do It's clearly foreshadowing what Jesus is going to do. He's going to do it for them. Yeah. So, so there's this really cool move here where God is sort of painting the picture that he made a servant who was supposed to show the world what it looks like to follow God. And this is a promise through Abram. And then it's a promise that's repeated a number of times in Israel. But yet, if you're reading the first 39 chapters, you're realizing Israel's not fulfilling it. They're not doing what they're no. supposed to do. So then the the shift turns then in 40 through 44 of Israel is the servant, but they're not good at it, which then leads us to this individual. Like you said, Jesus is the ultimate servant person who takes on what Israel was supposed to do and, and moves forward. And we really see that, don't we, in, in Luke a number of places, it's all over the New Testament, but but specifically Luke talks about Jesus doing certain things with Jerusalem. That's interesting, huh? Yeah, just coming in and he he's drew near and saw the city and wept over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just this, this depth of, oh, what you should have been, what you should be, but what you're not, how bad you are now, but redemption has to come. And, and to even have to cleanse the temple, you know, right. they're so far off course. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And so we see that in Luke 19, 41 through 48. And then, you know, in Luke 21, Jesus actually foretells the, the destruction of Jerusalem, which if you're a Jew, you're thinking, we just got it back a couple hundred years ago. Why would it be destroyed again? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Not popular. 
No. <laughs> and then in chapter 22, Jerusalem actually does what he prophesied. They, they put him to death, and it just goes terrible uh, for, you know, the disciples scatter. Jesus is all alone. The nations are raging against God. They put Jesus on the cross. They kill him. They, you know, they think they've won in chapter 23 of Luke. And then he's buried. And you think that's the end of the story until good news. There's Luke 24. There's Matthew 28. You know, there's all these great, the end of the gospels are always, but the tomb was empty. Yeah. What do you do with that? So now there's a king, a representative, a servant who has actually laid down his life not only for the nations, but for Israel. And you should start to go, whoa, God accomplished all the things that he said he was going to do in Isaiah, which is why I think so many people are so passionate about repeating Isaiah, like we talked about in the last podcast. They're constantly thinking about Isaiah. They're talking about Isaiah. They see something in Isaiah that they want to make sure that they're they're kind of uh, pulling all this together, which is a really cool little parallel parallel that I thought I'd pull in and and share this uh, the Bible Project actually just talked about this recently on a, uh, they did a number of podcasts on the priest concept. But one of the beautiful things is there's this guy named Melchizedek that showed up, right? Remember that? Mm-hmm. We read this way back in Genesis, uh, I think it's 14, but he he just shows up all of a sudden on the scene and Abram knows that something great's happening. So Abram offers him all kinds of things and he won't take it. And Melchizedek has this great meal with them. And then Abram offers up a tenth and Melchizedek accepts that. And you're reading this of, well, look at this beautiful individual just outside of Jerusalem or in Jerusalem, because that's actually where Melchizedek's from, who provides this beautiful little space where Abram has access to Eden for just a minute, just, you know, just a little Mm -hmm. bit. And you fast forward and you go through Isaiah where Jerusalem is being cursed and it's just not what it's supposed to be. Cut down and... And then that cursing, the terrible part of who Jerusalem is, actually puts God to death in Luke 23. And then Jesus arises in a garden. Like, come on, this is Mm -hmm. so cool how it all pulls together. Arises in a garden, is resurrected, and then starts inviting everybody into this banquet. This idea Mm -hmm. of come, be with me, and you're going to experience life to the full. Like Isaiah 55, come, buy, eat. Doesn't cost anything. Just come eat, come drink, come be a part of this party that I'm planning. Uh, and as I'm doing so, I'm, I'm inviting everybody into it. And you go, whoa, like Melchizedek's a lot like Jesus. And Jesus is the servant that Isaiah was looking for. And Jesus is the fulfillment of what Israel was supposed to be. And, oh, Jesus, all this happened in Jerusalem, the place where God's trying to work. And you just go, there's so many cool storylines that are all starting yeah. to pull together. So we're just kind of throwing some teasers out there. But when we get to the New Testament, I hope all these lines start to fit for you and you go, Holy cow, these strings are all tied and interconnected. Yeah, we'll try to bring back as many of those as we can just to spark your memory as we proceed through. Yeah. All right, everybody, thanks for listening.